0: I'm excited to be here, uh, yeah, for two reasons. One is Jamie and I uh, struck up a friendship years ago, and uh, Jamie has been really pivotal in my life as I've made some pretty big decisions, and as uh, Todd kind of referred, my wife and I, we, we were part of a great team, planted a church in Wheaton, did that for 10 years, uh, and then as we were kind of preparing to transition out, Jamie was a, a key part of of, of that time. And he was asking me these really big questions about Jesus and about the kingdom and, um, you know, just really messing with me personally. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced Jamie Miller. That's what he does kind of messes with people. Uh, but he, he's been very instrumental in that way. Um, and then secondly, as he said, I, have I've gotten the chance to serve on the board the last two years. So if there's been any problems with the churches because of me, I've just, I've just been playing around with some different ideas and just throwing them out there, seeing if they'd be willing to try them. And, so if they've tanked, it's my fault. It's not because of them. Um, no, but uh, I, I remember last year when I, we met for the meeting, it was the senior leaders and some of the leaders of the church. And then it was uh, Jimmy Seibert and Larry Kreider. And I just remember sitting around the table feeling like I was in this room with all these very spiritually muscular people. And there I was, just a little leaven, you know, just a little influence. Um, and, but I, that's actually kind of what I want to talk about this, this morning in a, in a roundabout way. Is I want to talk about how we serve a big God. But he asks, us to, he asks us to be a little leaven in, in the place where he's planted us. Um, and I just I wanted to start just by sharing with you something I've been praying. I've been praying for, for this church uh, this week as I've been preparing. And, and, I, and I just felt just hugely aware that that Jesus has a profound affection in his heart for each of you. That when he talks about you, his words are sprinkled with fondness, with grace, with, with love. And at the, at the very minimum, he just flat likes you guys. He likes who you are. And, and I think it's encouraging to know that that's how God talks about you. It's how he talks about people. Uh, I am reminded of the scripture in first John three, one that says, Oh, what manner of love the father has lavished upon us because we're the children of God. And we serve a lavishing God, a God that dotes on us, that deeply enjoys us thoroughly enjoys us. And I just I feel like it's important for you to know that when Jesus was saying, you know, to love your neighbor as yourself, or he was, he's speaking to us to love our enemies and those who mistreat us. He wasn't just a rabbi giving us a hard teaching. He was actually inviting us into his world. That's what he's like. He thoroughly loves people and he kind of creates this contagious liking about people when you are in his presence. And, and I just, I feel like today as we're starting off, Um, One of my 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 biggest goals is for people to get a revelation of Jesus that that utterly astonishes them. I think as I have gone through my transition journey into the business world, what I've what I've realized is that um, there is a view of Jesus out there that has, I think, in some ways been it's been skewed by by just the, the different religious teaching of the day, just by. Uh, the different messages seen through television and through the media. But there's a there's a view of Jesus out there today that I believe God wants to turn upside down and he's going to turn it upside down by by drawing people like us to himself and inviting us in, onto a journey with him. And I, I just believe that God wants a generation that's astonished with Jesus again. And so that's kind of my prayer this morning is that we would all have a fresh encounter with him that we wouldn't talk about him like we've learned about him, but we would talk about him like we've been with him. And so we're going to start off with a video, which kind of just is a a, kind of a snap of a of of a of a sermon that talks about just the the, the gospel about Jesus and how he interacted with this woman with the issue of blood. If you'll turn to the, the screens, we're going to watch that as we start this morning. Bottom line from that story, anybody heard of the story of the woman with the issue of blood, Luke 8, Matthew 9? Nobody? So you want me to preach that? Well, we have one person in the back? Okay. I feel like I'm at an auction. I'm bidding. Okay. So Jesus is walking through this crowd and this woman who's had an issue of blood for 12 years. She comes through the crowd and she touches the hem of his garment. And just with the touch of the hem of his garment, she was healed. But what a lot of people don't know about the, the back story of that is that she had an issue of blood, which meant in, under her, the Mosaic law, she's not allowed to be out in public. But because of her hunger for Jesus, she was willing to kind of go against the grain of her culture, get out there and touch them of his garment. And what I loved about the, what the video talks about is that there's a part in the scripture that says, but when Jesus felt the power leave his body, it says Jesus turned around. And what the video talks about is that those words are powerful because Jesus did not shun her like she thought he would. He didn't scorn her for breaking the Mosaic law. He actually turned to her and accepted her and healed her. And, and, And I think about that story, and there's three things about that story that I feel like kind of sets up what we're going to talk about today. First of all, is that when Jesus turned around and received that woman, he completely, in that moment, he replaced her view of God. He didn't make it better. He replaced it. Secondly, which this may not be as as a if you don't know a little bit of church history, but Jesus stopping and engaging this woman actually shifted over time the value in the opinion of society about women and about the sick. It's like almost everything Jesus did was like leaven. And he talks about this in Matthew 13. He says that the kingdom of heaven is like a little leaven that was put into some dough and over time, that leaven inside, it grows and expands. And and that dough is, is, is fit now it's to be able to feed tons of people. And that's what we see. Every little interaction you have with Jesus is God is shifting something in you because through you, He is shifting society. He's shifting your schools. He's shifting your workplaces. He's shifting your extended family to a place where they are in alignment with God. And thirdly, what I love about this woman and her bravery is that she is a picture of what posture of heart God is actually attracted to, what posture of heart God is pleased with. And what you notice is that she came after Jesus and she came to him because that's all that mattered to her. So we're going to pick up here in Matthew 11, 28 and 30. We're going to read the, 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 the words of Jesus. It says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we're going to just take these verses, we're going we're to peel through them piece by piece um, as we talk about Jesus this morning. The first thing we're going to talk about is what Jesus invites all of us to do. And it's not just what he invites us to do um, at salvation when he invites us into the kingdom. It's actually the solution for every day is Jesus says, come to me. He didn't say come through me, through your pastors and through your life group leaders. He says, come to me. And I love that this woman in this story had the bravery to kind of walk through and move through the crowds of people to be able to come to Jesus. And I, I think what's amazing here. And I want to share with you a little bit of my story because uh, in, in planting the church in Wheaton and, and seeing this marvelous church body developed, my wife and my, my brother Stephen and my, my best friends got the opportunity to plant the church and to share the love of Jesus with people and to pray for the sick and disciple people. And we saw all kinds of great things happen through this church. And after 10 years of, of doing that and being planted there and building relationships and building the church I started sensing God using this verse to kind of call to me again, saying, come to me, Jonathan. And in him saying that, I kind of sensed in my spirit like he was waving me on, like, hey, I want to take you to do something else. And that really messed with me. It messed with me because I almost had this knowing that what I've been doing for the last 10 years, he's about to have me walk off my map and to start doing something different altogether. And as I was going through that process of praying through, God, are you asking me to do something else? I brought my board and got them involved, and they said, Yeah, I think you need to pray about whether God is saying, kind of, well done, your work in this arena. Maybe He's calling you something else. And so my wife and I took time to pray, and I contacted Jamie Miller, and we talked a lot about just what got me into ministry in the first place and what's getting me potentially to move on. And what what, what struck me in that conversation was that, you know, I was thinking on so many different levels. You know, this was. The last 10 years of my life was leading people to Jesus. Some of the people that were leading in our church, you know, they had gotten transformed to our fellowship. They were got married here. They started having kids here. You know, it felt like I was God was calling me to leave my family. And then secondly, it's like, God, I've been pouring and investing in this city and in this church and in the Wheaton College area. And I'm like, I feel like everything I have built that we have built, you're having me just walk away from that and go start completely over at 34 years of age. All of these just disruptive feelings. And I remember after we had said, okay, we're going to pass the church off, we're going to to move on, we ended up going to Colorado for a year, and I had a good friend there who uh, did technology consulting, so I got to help him with some projects. But it really was like a mid-career sabbatical. It was almost like God was calling us to Himself. And in that time of God... God speaking to me, I felt like he he was bringing me back to Jesus, my first love. He was bringing me back to the reason I got in ministry in the first place was because I felt like Jesus said, come to me, come to me and take my yoke upon you. It wasn't like I did ministry because that's what everybody at my church was doing or that my my brothers, as Todd said, all of them are in ministry. I didn't get in because it was a family business. It's because Jesus had tapped me on the shoulder and said, come with me, take my yoke upon you. And so God was kind of bringing me back to that. And I, I feel like he was bringing me back to the message of the gospel and maybe even an aspect of the gospel that I had overlooked or that I had not, I had not been captivated by in a while. And I, I want to bring you back to that because when Jesus is saying, come to me, he's actually inviting you to something more than just a one time encounter. If we put on this, the, the, the scripture, second Corinthians five, 21. This is from the, the writings of Paul, where he's talking to the church of Corinth and he, he ends this chapter by saying it's basically the gospel in a sentence. He says, God made him speaking of Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, if you're not accustomed to, to, to this scripture or to to the church, you may, maybe have not heard this before. I want to kind of break this down in just very modern terms. Basically, what God, what Paul is saying here is that God took Jesus, this, 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 this son, this person who completely yielded to God and lived a sinless life. And it says that God put on him the sins of the earth. So basically what God did was he took the sins of, of all of us, past, present, future, and he put those on Jesus. And in exchange, Jesus gave us a right relationship with God. Now, let me. this is what this means, that God put on Jesus a punishment that only we deserve in exchange for what we call the good news. And this is what I had overlooked, what Jesus came to do. He didn't just come and die and rise again to give you a better relationship with God. That's okay. News. Jesus died and rose again to give you his relationship with God. That's the good news. The good news is that his unhindered intimacy with God, the promises that were rightly bestowed upon him as the son of God, he has now grafted us into those promises through our fellowship with him. God has been dreaming from the very beginning of time about having a certain kind of relationship with you. Can you imagine this? God, for billions of years thinking about the day when you would walk on the earth and walk in a fellowship with him. So I can tell you, God is not doing random with your life. He doesn't do random. God has you here for a reason. He has you in the school you're in for a reason. He has you in your workplace for a reason. And he's been dreaming about walking with you in a way that people would see Jesus in astonishing, man, in astonishing ways. It's almost like God needed to woo me off to the side to remind me, to show me that this thing is all about relationship with Him. Planning churches is great. Building families is great. But this whole thing is about a wondrous relationship with Jesus. And so I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about it just for a moment. If God has been dreaming before the creation of the world about you and about a relationship you would have with him. How big do you think Jesus is thinking about your relationship with God? How big is he thinking about your relationship with God? And I want you to just have, for a moment, those of you who've, you know, understand, you know, if you've read the scriptures, anytime God initiates relationship with a person throughout history, there are impossible things that are about to happen through that person's life. And that's what Jesus gave you, was a relationship with God where impossible things can now be made possible. I want to look at the next part of that scripture in, in, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. It says, Now take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, a lot of times when people start walking with Jesus and they start seeing that he's calling us to love our neighbor, to love our enemies, to forgive everybody who's ever hurt us, to to walk on the water, to pray for the sick. You know, it's almost like we can get overwhelmed by the the level of impossible that he's calling us to. We can almost get overwhelmed by what does it take to truly, you know, grow a healthy relationship? What does it take to truly grow a healthy family or a, gr- a healthy church or a, a healthy business? And we can almost get to a point where we're so overwhelmed by what it takes to do the job right that we can almost put that as the first part or the first priority is God calling us to something impossible. And we have got to rise up and become people who he can do that with. And we put that out first, rather, when in reality what comes first is this invitation where Jesus says, come to me. Just come and do relationship with me. Come and discover what is in the heart of God for you. That's where the abiding happens. That's where the power happens. It's like the yoke you're going to take on with Jesus is just the vehicle for that abiding power that's happening in your relationship with Jesus. That's where that vehicle is what you're going to shine the fruit of that relationship through. It's helpful when God calls you to the impossible. To realize he's actually just calling you to himself. He's giving you a, a front row to secrets that are in his heart. That he's been longing to display to the world. You know, there's a scripture in Psalms. Psalm 25 that says that there's a, the secret friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. It's almost like what it's saying. And, you know, fear in this context, it's not talking about being afraid of God or afraid he's going to hurt you or afraid that he's going to uh, you know, abandon you. It's, it's a this it's this wonder. It's this reverence. It's this respect for how big and mighty he is. And it's amazing that it's almost like you see in the life of Jesus that God is a friend to everyone. He's the friend of sinners. What the psalmist was saying is he's a friend to all but not all want to be a friend to him. And I think about the secret friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. It's almost like God is saying there's a level of friendship. There's a level of intimacy that we can share where I'll start sharing with you the secrets of my heart. The secrets of my heart that I have been wanting to share with the world, that I'm wanting to see, you know, take root in the world. I don't know about you, but that that motivates me. I remember being in a world mandate where Keith Wheeler, the guy that carries the cross around the world, was speaking. And he was talking out of John 15 where Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends, he said, because servants don't know what the master is up to. But I call you friends. And I remember Keith Wheeler saying that in the church, God has many servants, but very few friends. And it was almost like in that moment, it was like I felt Jesus was again saying, come to me. I want you to want the friendship I have to provide more than the success you might experience in business or in ministry. I want you to be motivated by what you find in my heart because the things that I'm going to do in the earth come out of the heart of God. And it's like if you're spending tons of time, and I don't mean like you're spending hours in your quiet time, I just mean if the attention of your heart is towards Jesus and you spend tons of time setting the attention of your heart towards Jesus, you're going to start seeing stuff. You're going to start knowing stuff. You're going to start grasping stuff. And it's that stuff that through your life, God is going to be planting in the earth. And the yoke you carry with Jesus is, is, a, is an easy yoke. It's a light yoke. I think about how in, in Jesus' day, you know, these yokes, it's so funny. If you, it's hard to think of this now, but in, in Jesus' day, the yoke was the cutting edge technology. Like we think technology, we think, you know, smart devices, right? We, we, we think of those kinds of things. But in Jesus's day, technology were not devices. It was like bows and arrows. It was like farming equipment. So Jesus is basically using an illustration that would have been the technology of the day to say, this is what relationship and doing relationship with God is like. It's like being yoked Like two ox being yoked together and by being yoked together, they're able to pull this plow and they're able to do this farming work. And 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 if you know anything about, you know, this kind of historical type of farming, typically what would happen is a, a farmer would take a very experienced, very mature ox that would would be, you know, kind of leading charge on on the work and, and almost like in a mentor process, they would yoke a smaller, I mean, I mean, a younger but strong ox to it. And they literally had to do life together. They had to walk together. And that's how the younger ox learned how to stay in the flow of that that yoke instead of resisting it. It's almost like Jesus Is saying, come to me. I'm wanting you to explore my heart. I'm wanting you to dream about a relationship with God that's going to change the world. But as I send you out, it's like he's yoking you to himself. He's actually carrying the bulk of the weight of your calling. That's good news. The bulk of your calling, he carries it. And I'd actually venture to say that people who are just crazy about Jesus and about just doing the next thing He's doing are going to fulfill the ultimate calling of God on their life more than people obsessing about whether they're doing the perfect will of God. Did y'all hear that? That was a lot of words. I think people who are just obsessed about being friends with Jesus and doing the next thing He's doing are going to fulfill the perfect will of God in their life more than the people obsessing about whether they're going to ever know and fulfill the perfect will of God in their life. It's almost like you get fired up about being with Jesus and you find yourself doing extraordinary things, being in extraordinary places, working with extraordinary people and, and people step back and and look at your life and go, how did you get this opportunity? And you're kind of like, I don't really know I'm with him and he's dragging me this direction. And so that's, I mean, honestly, when I think about joining up with Magnolia and Waco and being a part of Fixer Upper, I, I, the, the, everybody, do you know what Fixer Upper is? Am I talking about it that doesn't know HGTV Big fixer? So HGTV, Home and Garden Television, has a bunch of TV shows that mostly women watch. <laughs> Didn't know about it at all, actually. Some friends of mine in Waco have a remodeling company, and they were sought out to put together a kind of a show of them taking a family through a process of having their home remodeled. And, uh, the, the HGTV network picked it up and they call it fixer upper. And so, you know, 13 episodes a season, they are taking people's houses in Waco and completely restoring them and renovating them. So, um, anyway, what's amazing is, so I went to high school with Joanna who is on the show and is my boss and, and, you know, she, she, what's really cool is they had just finished season one. They weren't sure if it was going to get picked up for another season. Um, they've always have loved home remodeling and a, she has a retail store and she's always loved retail. That's kind of her passion. Uh, the show was kind of a fluke. It was kind of uh, okay, we'll do a show and we'll do a season, see how it goes. Uh, but
1: what ended up happening
0: is by the time season one ended and they were going into season two, the, the show just exploded you know, they went to like two to three million viewers and, and now it's like they're celebrities and the world wants to know them. And before they were nobodies that just had, you know, businesses in Waco. And so everything starts taking off and it's growing so fast. And so I, Joanna calls me and says, Hey, I know that you're doing some work in technology and I want to know if you'd pray about coming and working with me now to realize I'm at this point, I'm in Colorado with my family. We're trying to figure out who we are and what God wants us to do next and not sure where we're going to land. And all I know is in the secret place of being with God, he's talking to me about me getting behind a few people. And through getting behind those people, there's going to be this awakening nationwide. I have no idea what he's talking about. And I'm like, do you realize I am in Colorado? I don't know anybody but my friend. I work and I spend all day with my wife praying. And how in the world am I going to be getting behind people and having a nationwide impact? get this phone call from Joanna. And she said, I had a dream last night. And she said, I believe that God can use dreams, uh, to, to give us clues or to tell us things. And I just want to share it with you. And I said, okay, you know, how am I going to say no to that? So she said, I had this dream and basically said, I saw this river and there's all these people that were just going back and forth, you know, in this river. And she said, it was almost like it was, there was frantic, just so much current, so much speed, And she said, I saw you and Amy and you were in this canoe in the river, but you were anchored and you weren't like swept away by the, the current. And, and she's like, I had the dream and I woke up and she said, I went back to sleep and I had the same dream again. And she said, so I'm just going to put it out there (laughs) that maybe God wants to speak to you through this dream. But basically she said, I felt like that river felt like the current that we're in just, there's something God's doing and it's taken off and it's fast. And we need people who are anchored in God that can come behind us and help us run the business side because the show's taking off. And I remember getting off the, getting off the phone being like, oh, my goodness. You know, first of all, I didn't think I'd be going back to Waco. I was born and raised there, left in Chicago. I was like, I, that was the last place I thought I'd be coming back to. But what was amazing was coming to Waco and getting involved. You know, Magnolia is the company that people see on the show. And the company's small, but because you know, the illustration we use is that we kind of threw a line out and we hooked a whale and the whale was a show and now we're this business hooked to a whale that's just going crazy, you know, it's like things are growing so fast and it was like almost like God was saying, I was teaching you in the secret place that everything that I want you to be doing, that I'm having you dream about, is actually not going to happen by you going out there and trying to line up interviews and trying to pray through all the most important people and who you can get behind and all that maneuvering that we can get involved in. He's like, all I wanted you was to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. But God, I've left Wheaton and no one knows me out here. You know, come to Jesus. But God, I'm dreaming about somehow seeing your name and in, in your glory you know, taking the breath away from a, of a, of a nation. And I don't even know how to do that. I'm starting over at 34. And it was like, God's like, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. The next thing I know, I'm getting yoked to Jesus and this work going on in Waco. And again, we're humbled by the fact that so many people have been impacted by the show or by the experience. And what I, what I love about what I get to do is chip and Joanna, are very simple people. I mean, just love Jesus, just love their family, love their church. And they have just done the next thing Jesus has told them to do. And they're right in the middle of not just, you know, people knowing their show, but the stories that are flowing out of this whole experience are crazy. The people that are getting saved, the people that are coming back to the church, the people that are investigating Jesus, even just the the fact that Because on the show, there's this couple that love each other and love their family. And, you know, it's not the typical broken, dysfunctional family on television that is kind of portraying to the world that you're going to get married and get divorced or you're going to get married and you're going to screw your kids up. I mean, people are just enamored by there's a family that loves each other. I mean, and I know that's simple. That's the kingdom. There's no other message that talks about family like the kingdom and the world is seeing the kingdom and they're drawn I mean, we got a letter once from a, from a fan that said, you know, my, my marriage was really struggling and just watching one episode, I have hope for my marriage again. And I just want to be honest there. We don't preach. There's no preaching the gospel in this show. I mean, you guys ever watched it? It's about houses being remodeled, but God can use a little leaven anywhere to start shifting the attitude of a society back towards himself. And the, what's been cool is how God is elevated Chip and Joanna, the way God's bringing a team around them. We all have a similar story. God started tapping us on the shoulder to go kind of into a secret place of really meeting with him and having him reinvent us. And then God bringing us together to be stewarding a platform that is so big that only God could have built and is sustaining. And we get to sit back and say, wow, maybe through something like entertainment, which I would have never thought somehow Jesus is going to beckon a world to come to himself. That's good news. I want to kind of end. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 33. This is a scripture that I have come back to over and over again. And it's honestly when, when Jesus taps you on the shoulder and says, Come to me, come with me, he's inviting you into uh, something that is extraordinary. And I think that there's been a time, and I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but I think there's been a time where we kind of equate humility as people who don't want much. You know, we say, I'm just kind of a humble person, you know, simple dreams, just kind of want to, and that's okay. If God has given you a very simple and potent dream, that's great, but you have to realize what, what, what God has invited us into is so spectacular that you can't walk closely with God and not Have your dreams explode. In fact, Jeremiah was in prison. And by the time that we get to this, this story in Jeremiah 33, because he had prophesied to the king, the outcome of a war, and it was not the outcome the king wanted. So he gets indicted with treason. He's in a prison. His city has been taken over by Babylon. There's oppression and all kinds of wickedness going on in the streets. And, and in that moment of being in solitude, God comes to him. And this is what God says. Now it says, While Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard of the guard, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. This is what the Lord says who made the earth. This, the Lord who formed it and established. The Lord is his name. Now listen to this. This is what God says to him. He says, Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. In a prison for obeying God. God says, come to me, call to me, and I am going to show you things that are beyond your wildest dreams. I'm going to show you things beyond your wildest dreams. And the the rest of the chapter is God prophesying the end of the captivity they were in, the land being healed, the, the people being healed, A a, a season of prosperity where people are flourishing and thriving in their workplaces and in their families. And it's like God was whispering to Jeremiah, giving him a secret, a secret from his heart. Just saying, hey, all I'm asking you to do is come to me come walk with me, be my friend, come and do life with me, dream about a gigantic relationship with me. And I'm going to start showing you things. I'm going to start breaking off dreams and secrets that I carry in my heart like bread. And I'm going to show you great and unsearchable things. And it's like God was speaking to Jeremiah of the actual end of captivity, which would have been a blow away for those people. But God was actually whispering to Jeremiah about the coming of the Messiah. The coming of a day when Jesus Christ would come to the earth and everything that's wrong would be made right. Everything broken would be put back together. Everything that's dysfunctional is going to become healthy. Everything that is despairing is going to be filled with hope. But do you know that even God was looking through Jeremiah? He was looking through Jesus to a day like now. A day like now where God is saying to us, come to me. And I will show you great and unsearchable things of which you do not know. It's God who spoke to the Apostle Paul who said that you would see beyond what you could ask or imagine. We're asking God for a breakthrough in Fort Worth. And I'm telling you, God is looking farther than your breakthrough. He's saying, oh, breakthrough's coming. I'm looking through your breakthrough to a day where the junk of today can't exist because of the level of health that I'm creating in the world of tomorrow. It's like God was saying to Jeremiah, he was saying, there's things I carry in my heart. It's a vision of the future that I only share with my friends. There's things in my heart that are reserved, that are hidden, that only come out with people who are like hearted. And it's like we get to see the end of the story, right? If you've ever read the book of Revelation, God shows John the Beloved the future. And John the Beloved is living in Jesus's day. He can't even articulate what he's seeing. So he uses things like it was like a man. It was like a lamp. It was like a dragon. And that sounds kind of spooky. We have no idea what he was seeing. He could have been seeing helicopters and thinking it was well, it's like a dragon, but it has this thing that twirls, you know. In Revelation 11, the prophecy says the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of Christ. And what that's saying is the stuff that we're seeing today, God has dreams about stepping into a broken world and not just fixing it right? He's not just repairing the world's relationship with God. He's not just making it one degree better. He's literally stepping into it through you and me and the dreams and the desires of God that he's putting in our hearts. He's literally going to use that to create a world, to create the kingdom of God on this earth in such a way that you no longer see the kingdom of the world. You see the kingdom of our God. And he's doing it in such explosively creative ways. That's why you have to stay connected to God's heart. I'm telling you, your brain will get dull. Your ideas will get dull. Your solutions will become cookie cutter. If you're off trying to think and and maneuver a world by yourself, there's only one place where ideas are vibrant. There's only one place where dreams are alive. There's only one place where creativity is endless and it's in the heart of God. And he's looking for people like us who are not making it about doing the perfect will of God in my life, finding out my God's will and doing God's will. It's about coming to Jesus. I would love for it to be said of everyone here that by the time you die, they said that person just really did life with Jesus well. Because the promise is he wants to bring you into his yoke and he's going to be doing some things that are going to turn the world upside down. And I just want you to know God wants you to be able to dream with him. But I'm telling you, I've, I've talked to lots of people, and this is what I'm going to end with. I've talked to lots of people who feel like their dreams are, they don't know if they're godly. They don't know if they're good. They don't know if they're right. Um, they don't know if they came from God, if they're just their own. And they, there's people that I've talked to who actually have felt like struggled with thinking that maybe their dreams are bigger than what God wants to do in their life. And so they despair. They, they get discouraged because they're like, I don't know. I just, my dreams, when we're in life group and everyone says, what's your dream? I thought my dream is 150 times bigger than everybody else's. And I don't want to share that, you know. And I'm telling you, <laughs> your dreams are just a seed compared to the tree God wants to grow in your life. I'm telling you, there's only one place where your heart will stay full of hope and, and, and vision for the future. It's staying yoked to Jesus. It's coming to Jesus.